This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And uh, joining me this time, it will be members of Jefferson Starship Annie. We will be getting not one, but two fabulous interviews on uh, August 9th, 2019. I had a chance to sit down, or I was scheduled to sit down with a singer, Kathy Richardson at uh, the fair in Malone, New York, and to my surprise, the entire band sat in on the interview, and during the interview, each had their say. So we have uh, David Freiberg in there, Donnie Baldwin, Chris Smith, and Jude Gold. So we have the entire band uh, sitting in on the uh, Kathy Richardson interview. Now, I, of course, had uh, been told I'd be interviewing Kathy and was preparing for Kathy so it was um, quite something to try to get everybody involved. I did the best I could. And, uh, of course, on the other side, I have an interview that I did back in April uh, earlier this year with David Freiberg alone. It was a phoner. And Alan Niven, uh, former Guns N' Roses manager, is the co-host on this episode. Now you're thinking, well, it's August. Why hasn't this interview run since April? Well, for those of you that follow the show, we know that uh, almost immediately after Alan had, um, hmm, I'm just going to call it a, a setback, a, a major personal setback, and so it was uh, difficult for me to uh, listen to the interview and run the interview uh, under those circumstances. But now that everything is uh, cleared up and everybody is back to being healthy and back to being on track... I think that it is uh, due time that we uh, run the interview. Now, of course, uh, Jefferson uh, Starship were at the Franklin County Fair in Malone, New York. And uh, big big thank you, by the way, to Eric Baker for having made that possible. The The show, or at least what lasted of this show, was a spectacular. Hearing them do uh, We Built the City and Jane and all those songs was great. Now, the band didn't get to play White Rabbit and some of the bigger hits just because a massive electrical or thunderstorm, whatever you want to call it, rolled in at, uh, the band started at 8, and like at about 8.45 or 9 o'clock, this massive storm rolled in, and the entire fair had to be evacuated. So hopefully, hopefully, the fair will have them back next year so they can finish. But I'm telling you, if you if you like the old songs and you, and you like the way uh, the band sounds, you will love this incarnation of uh, Jefferson Starship. Kathy is an absolute, absolute pearl. She she sings like a mother, right? <clears throat> we can't say it, but you know what I mean. And, of course, she's uh, good friends with Joel Hoekstra of Whitesnake and anybody who's a friend of Joel Hoekstra is a friend of mine. So, uh, you know what? Without further ado, I'm going to give you not one, but two interviews, one from August, 2019 and one from April 2019. Here they are, the one, the only Jefferson Starship featuring David Freiberg, Donnie Baldwin, Chris Smith, Kathy Richardson, Jude Gold. Les voilà. Um, we are at the uh, Malone, New York County Fair with uh, Jefferson Starship and uh, Kathy Richardson. Kathy, pleasure to, ha- pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And yes, us. and us. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've got everybody in the room. Not, not that anybody can see this, but let's talk about uh, taking these songs because you, you were, of course, in love, Janice. And now, so you, you, you've done the Janice Joplin thing. You're, you're doing the Grace Slicks thing. Talk to me about um, putting your voice to these very powerful singers and powerful women. Uh, well, you know, it's obviously a huge incredible honor to even be associated with grace and janice are the queens of rock and roll you know they're they influenced everything that i did in my you know being a singer growing up and wanting to be a rock singer in fronting a band and stuff so um it is i think there's we're definitely cut from the same cloth you know uh they they paved the way and um you know, it's just so much fun. It's so much fun to sink my chords into these songs and uh, and and sort of, you know, 
change skin a little bit, you know, like when being on stage, being a singer, you're performing too. So you kind of lose yourself a bit. Not that I'm trying to, um, channel grace necessarily. Like I did definitely try to channel Janice, <laughs> but that with, yeah, that was the, that was the job. But, but with, um, with this, it's more like getting to, um, be myself as, as much as just take everything that grace did and let, it's just like this open playing field for, for me to just do whatever I want really, because <laughs> God knows, uh, grace certainly did that. You make a good Mickey though. Also. Oh yeah, I do. I also sing the songs, some Mickey Thomas songs and Marty Ballin songs too. Um, Outside of Jefferson Starship, you, you have done your own albums. Is that something that you want to continue at this point, or are you just sort of focusing on this? Um, well, yes. I mean, I probably will never stop writing songs and, and recording. But, you know, the really cool thing is now that um, getting to write for Jefferson Starship. And uh, so it it is now it's it's more than just a gig now it's also a creative outlet so that's incredibly gratifying and i just can't wait for everybody to hear our new music because it's really good <laughs> i was just listening to some of the new mixes today and i'm like man this is rocking these are good tunes like i'm going to be really really proud uh when this record comes out well, in fact, talk to me about that new record. When do you see it coming out? And musically, do you go back and explore what the band was doing in the 60s and 70s? Or is this sort of moving forward and creating a new sound for the band? Yeah, it's definitely moving forward. But it's, um, I mean, I was just saying to Jude today, like, I feel like whenever we approach it, 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 it and what I really like, and I think we've achieved with this new thing, is that it sounds like it, it sounds modern, but it also sounds classic. So, um, I'm, I'm really excited about that, that we, you know, we can, we can touch back to the original band and the original music, but have complete freedom to be creative and, and write whatever kind of music we want. You know, um, Grace told me that their, their whole thing was like, get as weird as possible, you know, and for Jefferson airplane. And then of course, Jefferson starship had a different sort of mode that was more commercially focused. Um, and I don't know commercially what, what kind of success this record's going to have. So basically for us, it's just like writing songs that we believe in and, and hoping that the fans, um, will, embrace them and so far so good we've been playing our, our song what are we waiting for live for about a year now and uh it gets an amazing reaction from people and they're you know the people are like when is it coming out we got to get that song you know so i'm just so psyched for to, to put the whole thing out and and um have it be it's already been a year yeah. oh my god yeah, yeah. let me ask uh, david one question real quick what sort of motivates you at this point to put out new music? Because you can put your name on the marquee and the fans are going to come out and they're going to hear the songs they want to hear, whether it's a Jane or whether it's White Rabbit or whatever. Why? And I, and I mean this respectfully, but why bother? If you know what I mean. Well, because that's we're, – we're just doing – we're kind of doing what Jefferson Airplane did. I mean they, they wrote about what was going on and that's kind of – that's exactly what we're doing, for the most part. I mean, some some of these songs are have a have a story to tell, you know, that that isn't particularly happening right this second, but that's eternal. But but uh, that's what we're trying to do, and, and so I, I I don't how could you not do it? Is it important, though, as an artist to stay creative and not just go through the motions and uh, plug in and go, oh, we're playing this song again? Well, we're singing those songs. Right. We aren't just going through the motions. Okay. <laughs> I mean... The, the, Unfortunately, some bands do, though. Yeah. No. There's different sparks of energy in, it, in, in, those, in those songs every night. Even, even the ones that really should be the most commercial, they, they, every now and then they'll just go... <laughs> you know... Uh, Kathy, you and I have a, a friend in common, Joel Hoekstra, who now plays with White Snake. He's also played with Night Ranger. 
and he has his own Joel Hoekstra's 13. Uh, you sang on one of his albums, uh, Undefined, I believe it was called, mm-hmm. back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit how how you got to meet Joel and, I mean, just the incredible success being with Cher and Whitesnake and Night Ranger and... Yes, well, I, I think Joel knows that he owes it all to me, really. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. He's an incredible musician and a great guy, and he's, uh, you know, so proud of him and his success. Actually, Joel and I used to work at, at Pro-Am Music Store in Downers Grove, Illinois, and he taught guitar lessons, and I worked behind the counter, you know, selling guitar strings and stuff, and uh, that's when I first met him. And my bass player, Randy Riley, also worked at that store. And I needed a guitar player when my guitar player got picked up to go on a tour. And Joel joined my band. And that was in the 90s. Um, And then very shortly after that, I got cast in Love, Janice. Mm -hmm. And um, we went out to Sag Harbor in New York to do the show. And... You know, we're we're having all these rehearsals, but we're not playing with the band. We haven't met the band yet. So, for, you know, me and Andra, the other singer, were like, when do we get to work with the band? Because the show's opening in a couple weeks, so we really need to get these arrangements down. So we go into the rehearsal room, and I don't know who these guys were, and I mean no disrespect to them, any of them, if they're listening, but they were terrible. And... <laughs> So we were in like, yeah, we were, no, they just couldn't play and they couldn't play together and the music was too complicated for them or something. And, uh, and, uh, and so it it was like a train wreck and we called an an emergency meeting with the producer and said, we need a whole new band. And they're like, oh, we can't, we can't get a whole new band. What, what do we do? What's the most important instrument in the band? And I said, you know, that's like asking which wheel of the car is most important they're all equally important you know and and they're like well if you could pick one and i said well i guess the guitar player because the the big brother guitar parts are very intricate and um so do you know anybody and i said well yeah i i know this guy joel hoekstra he's he's amazing he's my guitar player he'll learn it all in one day and he'll come in here and he'll blow all of your minds which is exactly what he did and he he got on the plane he came in, he whipped that band into shape, and we ended up going off Broadway for two years, and, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, just quickly talk to me about Jefferson uh, Tree of Liberty. was your first vocal with the band. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Because you know that you're going to come in, and there's this expectation with Mickey Thomas and Grace and stuff. Was there a fear going into that, that, oh, my God, I'm not going to live up to this? Or was there like, no, no, I got this. This is easy. Yeah, well, it is what I do, and I, I, you know, I. Besides being doing a lot of stage performing, I was I've done a ton of studio work too. So I'm like really fast in the studio, and I, you know, I used to sing a lot of jingles and stuff where you're like under pressure and you gotta, you know, like you gotta nail it or you're out, and the next one's coming in. So I, I got really good at singing in the studio um, from just doing that for years, going just from place to place. And, uh, um, so, but the other really cool thing, the, the, the thing that surprised me about recording with these guys was, you know, um, the, the, it was an album of folk songs. So it was not, it it wasn't even touching on the Mickey Thomas era of the band at all. It was going even before Jefferson airplane, it was going back before then to, to yeah, back to the weavers and playing and standing around a microphone, picking guitars, singing harmonies around one mic. You know, we each had our own mic, but we were in the same room, Paul, David, and I, singing in three-part harmony live on this record. And the the way that our voices sounded together was so incredible to me. And, I'll, you know, I'll, I still feel that way about David. I, we all miss Paul Kantner because his timbre of his voice was so unique and it was such a unique sound and part of the sound, the Jefferson sound. Um, but many, many nights on stage, I get tears in my eyes with the three voices harmonizing. Yeah. Uh, David, I want to ask you just real quick about the recording process for, for this new album that's coming out. 
Do do you use all sort of the the studio trickery with the Pro Tools and the fly stuff in, or do you like to go back to how it was back in the day and record it more organically, four on the floor, everybody in the room? How did you sort of come together on this album? We kind of did it both ways, actually. We went in all all in the room at the same time, and we had Pete Sears for most of it playing bass with us at the same time and everybody played and had at least one vocal going on and then we went to a studio and did vocals when we had a chance when we were in LA together for a while and we had some time to, together which it's all been getting pieced together wherever anybody could get a chance to go into the studio and, and, and put something on it you know from but all to, it was all together from the beginning, all this stuff, and and all the songs, most of the songs were written, came out came out of us being just down in my studio and just jamming with the microphone on, and and things would happen and we listened to it and songs would appear. That's basically how most of it happened, and Kathy wrote some beautiful stuff over the, over, you know, some great lyrics. And so did Grace. Grace, yeah. Let me ask you because I have a sense that music has become somewhat very uh, similar and very sanitized, where you can just fix a vocal and fix a part, and and there's not. Um, Alan Niven, who was manager for Guns N' Roses, used to tell me that there was a perfection in the imperfection of a beat being ahead of the, you know, or something. Um, has music become too safe and too sanitized? Sometimes I'd say so. I don't think we're in, in danger of being called that, though. <laughs> no. Um, uh, quickly, talk to me about the Love Janice um, play. Uh, how how important was that for you to have that part and 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 do those songs? And were you a fan, or is that something that you sort of it's just a gig and I have to do it? Oh no, I was a fan. I was more probably more of a casual fan. Um I always covered uh, you know, did a couple Janice covers in my show with my band and um honestly, when they called me, I I had no idea. I like I had read the book Love Janice. Um I had heard that the play was coming to town and I was someone had invited me to go and I was ready, you know, I was excited to see it and learn more about her and stuff. But I didn't really, I didn't know her whole catalog or anything. So when they called me to come down, I actually tried to talk them out of me. I'm like, no, no, not me. You know, you get, you get the wrong person. I don't sound like Janice. I don't look like Janice. I'm not an actress. I don't do theater. I'm a rock and roll singer. And they're like, that's what we want, you know. And I think she'll fit the costumes, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so whatever, they, I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know about this. And they gave me a day to think about it, and I realized that I had to do it no matter what. I, I you know, like, I didn't know what, where it was going to take me or where it was going to lead, but I knew that, like, fear of doing something new was, was not a good reason to not do something. So, God, am I grateful I did that. It totally changed my whole life. I mean, it changed me as a singer, as a musician, as a performer. It led me here to being where I am right in Jefferson Starship, you know, which was one of my favorite <laughs> bands ever growing up. You know, I have – it's funny when Paul um, came to my apartment to sing with me. It was my sort of formal audition. I had all my albums out on the floor so he could see that I, I had all the Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship albums and um, I was a huge fan of, m probably more of a Jefferson fan than a Janice fan at the time. So I, um, I feel like, I don't know. It was just, it, it was extremely important. I didn't know at the time how important it was going to be. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you, you learn through the process. You, you, you train your vocal cords differently and stuff as well because it, you're, you're singing in a way that's not your way. Exactly. Oh, exactly. I had, I, I went, it, it was a process of several years where I really changed my voice to try to sound more like Janice. And now it's like a thing that I can kind of turn off and on. Um, and I definitely, it's, it's like, it's in my bag of tricks now and I definitely will pull it out. Um, tonight you'll see, I'll pull it out in at, at various points of the show. And it's just, it's just a fun thing to have, you know?
Now, now we've got the entire band back here, so I'll throw this question out, and whoever wants to chime in, chime in. But uh, we are at a live show here in Malone, New York. How important is touring for a band today? I mean, in the old days, it was album sales and album sales and a video on MTV. But now it's it's really about being on the road, right? Do you want to make anybody? Let's go over to David. Yeah. <laughs> No, I let somebody else talk, but it, it, it kind of is. I mean, you know, you're not going to make album sales. Give me a break. Right. <laughs> you make it, what, m- millipennies from a streaming audio, you know. Unless you have a big, giantly, uh, giantly streamed song that's in the multiple millions. Um, well, you know, I'm going to disagree with that because I was talking to Desmond Child, who wrote Living on a Prayer. Mm-hmm. Five billion streams. You know how much his check was? $6,000. For five billion streams. It's fractions of a penny Yeah, per per stream. (laughs) What I know, though, I think he got a little underpaid on that one. (laughs) Telling you. Yeah, and and, and it's funny because we were talking on the phone about this, and he says, do they not realize I have two kids to put through college? (laughs) It's like, well... Yeah, what are you supposed to do with that? I mean, it's a joke. It's what really a joke. Checks for two cents. You know? <laughs> I have a bunch of checks for two cents, ten cents. You know, I'm not going to cash those. <laughs> it's like that uh, Seinfeld skit with the uh, super terrific show where he was getting royalties for twelve cents or whatever yeah. it was. Um, well, that's typical. I, I went, when I used to sing jingles, I would go. To, there would be piles of checks in my mailbox. I would be laughing every day. <laughs> You know, and the, and now I get, I'm like, if I get one check, it's for eight cents. And I'm like, well, you know, those were the good old days. I'll tell you what. <laughs> the, first, the first check I got that I saved yeah. was back in the 70s doing the album thing with Fool Around. Yeah. I've actually got it in frame. A huge song, and it's still huge today, $1.37. <laughs> but that was 1970s yeah. dollars. I couldn't believe it. I go, Mom, I've got a dollar thirty-seven. <laughs> That's at least 10 bucks today. Um, uh, I I do want to talk about the jingles for a section, a second. And being a working musician, you know, a lot of folks think that you get into the rock business and you play Madison Square Garden and you ride around in a limousine. Talk to me about actually being a musician that has a career and being sort of in the trenches for the lack of a better word. It's, 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 you have to be dedicated, uh, you know, and uh, that's all I can say. If you don't have the fortitude, you're not going to make it. <laughs> I mean, some people, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how it works with pop music. I, all I, uh, I just, and I, I probably, if I had had parents who had any kind of clue how to get in the music business, maybe I would have <laughs> done, done better more quickly, but it was literally like I, I, it was approached in my world like a blue collar job. You work hard, you slug it out, you take the crappy gigs, you open for whoever you can, you get on whatever stage you can. Anybody who wants to pay you anything to do music, you say yes, and you you just don't say no to things. Like you just do everything that you can, and you know the jingles. The whole time that was bankrolling my career, my rock and roll career, because I was able to go in the studio and make records. Mm -hmm. I was able to press and release my own records. I was, you know, DIY through the whole entire nineties and, you know, still am to a degree, although I don't, I, I don't do my own thing nearly as much as I ever used to, but it was like, I used to play 150 shows a year and some of them really sucked, you know, <laughs> and some of them were in terrible places and some of them I wouldn't get paid. And I'd be in fighting with a cigar chomping man in the back room, trying to get paid, trying to pay my band, you know, getting the van towed while you're playing the Metro in Chicago. And the, the, the towing bill is more than the gig paid, you know, just like that kind of stuff. It, it, uh, it takes, you have to love it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but, but as you're getting the, the van towed and the eight cent check and all this stuff, were there moments where you just said, the hell with it? I'm just going to go work at Aetna or I'm, I'm going to go to the Costco and be a, a cashier? There was, uh, there was one time where I was in New York City and I had a meeting. I had some meetings with record labels 
and I went in and I had a meeting with this guy and we're listening. He, I'm playing him certain songs and he goes, play, play me what's you. And I play him the song. It's sort of this jazz blues song. And then I hit this big long note in the song and he's got it. He's like listening. And when I get to my big note, he turns the volume down and tells me that I'm never going to make it in the music business. And that I should, and, and like, basically like we're looking for stars and I'm not seeing it with you. And I, it, it was like, I had, he crushed my soul and I walked out of the building and I, I cried and I said, I'm quitting music. I can't put myself through that anymore. I can't have some guy who doesn't know what he's talking about telling me that I'm not as good as I know that I am. And I can't go through this anymore. And then I was like, well, that's stupid. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go to a different record company, you know, whatever. Um, it, it, that was like right before I got cast in love Janice, you never know what's going to happen. One of the guys that I, I met with that day came to see me in love Janice and he was going to give me a record deal, uh, except that 9-11 happened, and that's a whole other story. But my meeting with RCA Records vice president was scheduled for September 11, 2001. Needless to say, the meeting never happened, and uh, that, you know. But here I am with this famous RCA legacy band, Jefferson Starship. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to throw that out to the band, and it's going to be unfair because you're in the room. But but how does she stack up as a singer for you? I mean, she's fantastic, right? Who who wants to answer first? I'll answer. I, mean, I don't know how to explain it. All I know is in playing with Grace and seeing some other singers when I actually came back to the band after I left, the one thing about Kathy was that she reminded me of when I first met Grace and the way Grace was. She was kind of in between trying to stay sober and get her life together and, and dealing with all kinds of shit. And uh, Kathy's voice just reminded me of, of a younger Grace. And, and I got really excited because there's an attitude. There's there's kind of this, this thing that goes along with grace's voice of her not just being grace slick but grace slick the singer and how she is on stage and what she does without really trying because it's part of her makeup and kathy reminded me of that and uh i just got really interested and i said man this is this is really cool and and uh, even though there was other singers that were around before kathy came in i just knew that she was the one and that's because of Grace and, and being able to play with Grace. That uh, Kathy held her own as a singer in her own way, but she had that other color that reminded me of the Grace thing, which I thought was going to be great because it would remind, if it reminds me of Grace, it'll remind other people that this girl has this thing that totally relates, even though she's very much her own voice. So. You know, it's 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 hard to explain because, you know, you have to, you have to experience it. Especially, you have to experience grace in order to, to put yourself in asking or or answering the question another singer. But if you know grace and somebody else comes in that reminds you of grace, then there's something there, and that's that was it for me. That this girl, uh, we need to hold on to her as feisty as she is, but so was Grace. <laughs> yeah, and it's worked out. And, and I'll, uh, I'll finish on this, and I'll throw it out to everybody again, but how important is it for the band, or how important is brand to the band? Because you could have, of course, gone out and called yourself the David somethings, or, or the... Uh, how important is branding? And, and, you know, a lot of new bands, they don't think of that. They come up with these horrible names. They, they don't think of T-shirt designs. And unfortunately, it is the music business, and you need to think about all of this. Well, we honor the we honor the legacy of this band. Yeah, we have such a great songbook, and we celebrate it. That's where it goes. Yeah. people still want to hear the music sure. when they were growing up. And the beauty of it is, is that people are showing up and they're seeing this band that has that flavor, even though there's only David that's played with the band before me, and then me afterwards with Airplane and me and with Jefferson Starship Starship and David with the early Jefferson Starship, people just 
it takes them to a place and, and we make sure that we cover a little bit of each part of the history of each part of what the band was as it went through all these different changes. Plus, people love to watch us on stage because they see us having a great time. And we never know what's going to fucking happen. But we always have a great time doing what we do. And it's hard to find that in, in a band, to keep it together, and because you have so many different personalities. So we're just enjoying the moment, and that's really what it's about. It really is. And, and on that, uh, thank you. Thank you for everybody. It, that, it was great, and it, it's going to be great live. I mean, uh, I haven't seen the band live before, but I've been studying all these YouTube videos. And there is a very palpable energy and, as, as he says, a fun factor. You just look yeah, at that and you go, yeah, yeah, well, and I was talking about going through the motions before. This band's not going through. You can see it. There's a passion there. And uh, thank you. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Just keeping it together, doing what we do, and, and the music speaks for itself. And we put ourselves to it. And there's a different flavor that works with everything that was already there at one time. Yeah, and you're going to so badly want to interview us after you see us, too, Mitch. Oh, my God. And you're going to be like, holy shit. A lot more questions. I do. Well, we do, but it's, been, it's already been half an hour, and I know you have to get ready for the, uh, the meet and greet and all that. Yeah, we have to get in our outfits. Do I get a picture with you before the outfits or after the outfits? I think before is probably cooler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And after. <laughs> David's wearing his outfit. Me too. Shorts and t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I'm from Montreal, so as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Oh, merci. Au revoir. Bientôt. A la prochaine, as we say. There we go. Perfect. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. We are speaking with the Jefferson Starships, David Freiberg, and joining me on the line is a co-host, Alan Niven. Alan, we don't do a lot of interviews together. We usually do them separate, but pleasure to have you here. And David, absolute, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, wonderful to talk to you now, and this will be great. It well, will... what shall we talk about? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, David, um, most of the time, I prefer to let Mitch do the interviews. He's... I, an expert at it, and people are very comfortable with him because he is a master at his craft. But every now and then he'll say, he'll be running through prospective interviews, and every now and then I'll go, oh, 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 I, I really would love to talk to that guy. Um, and when your name came up, um, it, it, it just set off fireworks in my head. And, you know, let me get a little bit of fanboy out of the way here. Um, okay. There you are in a band called Quicksilver. Well, I was a little <laughs> nipper in an English boarding school, and you make a record called Happy Trails, which I will tell you is still one of my favorite all-time albums. Um, and to give it some sort of uh, perspective there, uh, my favorite Who album is called Live at Leeds. I will tell you, David, there would be no live at Leeds if there wasn't a Happy Trails before it. And that is one of the most splendid groove and guitar records um, in my collection. I still pull it out and play it for people and go, you have got to know this record. Absolutely wonderful. Then you go on and, you know, um, of course I remember as a little kid rolling up my first joint and, and wishing that I could one day maybe go to America and I'm listening to have another, another hit of fresh <laughs> California sunshine. Um, then comes along a record, and it's, to me, the first solo record that was powerful as a solo statement, and that was, of course, the David Crosby record that you're a part of. I mean, Laughing is still one of my all-time favorite tracks, and What Are Their Names is still oh, what are the absolutely, names? Yeah. yeah, that's still an absolutely relevant statement, and I wish people were making more statements like that today. Um, I think Crosby's still but, doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, per personally, David, you know, just thank you. You um, definitely were an influence and an inspiration to me, and I can blame you for all the weird, weird things that went on in my life, like GNR and so on and so forth. But what a splendid yeah, rolling career. up that joint and 
in boarding school. Yeah. Now, now, David, <laughs> yeah. what you might not be aware is Alan used to manage Guns N' Roses and then after or during actually at the same time managed Great White. So he, he's been in the business for, for many years and has this expertise. And yet for like, like all of us, it starts somewhere. And, and for him, it was uh, yeah. it was Quicksilver and also, uh, you know, Jefferson Starship and Jefferson Airplane and all that wonderful stuff. So. Before we start looking back, let's start sort of looking forward in the sense of the band is touring. You consistently tour. You've got dates that I can see lined up all the way through September. Um, At this stage of the game, what sort of gets you motivated to get out of bed and say, yeah, I got to get on a stage. I got to deliver these songs. Fans want to hear them. Why not just say it's been a good life? I'm just going to stay in California and stare out at the sunshine. And what gets you out there? Is it is it artistic in you know the artistic endeavor, or is it like down to, well, listen, I got to pay the rent, so you know. Oh wow! You know what? It, it, it's really wanting to play with this bunch of people, the people that are in the band right now. I I just it it. It just kept it. I, I just, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> uh, falling back into, cause, cause I had, you know, right around when I, when I left Starship, when it was just, they dropped the Jefferson and, you know, I left shortly after Paul Kantner did. And, you know, and then right before they did the, we built the city and nothing's going to stop us now. And all, all those, all those big hits. Um, it, it had stopped being a whole lot of fun to be there for me because, because the, 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 the creative, the, the, the group creation wasn't there anymore. I mean, we had a bunch of, a bunch of really good players and a, I mean, Mickey Thomas is a great singer and, you know, and Grace Slick was wonderful and everybody was doing really well, but kind of, kind of lost the organic. Was, nobody in the band was writing any of the songs. They were all from yeah. outside people, you know, and, I mean, we built this city with uh, Bernie Taupin and, you know, and, and, um, and I don't know, I, 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 you know, and they, they said, well, you weren't doing very much, you know, you could leave. And I said, I sure could, <laughs> you know, and it was kind of a mutual agreement. On that. And I said, okay, you guys go right on ahead. And from, I from just an kind of buried my nose in a Mac computer for a little while and, and, uh, did crazy things like uh, sequence Peter and the Wolf, the whole the entire orchestra score and recite it myself so I could play it for my grandkids. <laughs> and I went back and played with Gary Duncan from Quicksilver for a little while and met my wife and did all that. And almost 20 years later, after, you know, and, 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 I, and I built a studio in the house and, and, and helped, you know, and helped people record and had, had a pretty good time. Seven didn't get out of music by any chance, you know, and actually was joined a chorus and sang Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> did, did, did things that were just unlike anything that I had been doing. And um, and and Paul asked had reformed Jefferson Starship in the '90s, and right around 2004, I think it was, he said, "Do you want to come and sit in?" And I and he was playing in Marin County, and I went and sat in with him first for two songs and it was fun. I just had a great time. Everybody in the band was, was great. And we, we, you know, Prairie Prince was playing drums, you know, and Slick Aguilar was playing guitar and, and it, it, it was just wonderful. And, and they, they said, do you want to come on, come on down to another gig? And I did that. And he said, how, how about these two couple in New York? And so, and before I knew it, I, I was in the band. And I was having a fun and it just kept on going like that. And I went through that starting about 2005, all the way up till Paul passed away. You know, the members changed and gradually um, it turned into the people that are in the band. Now this, this exact band was playing with Paul uh, like for the last five years. And Chris, the guitar, the, the, uh, the keyboard player has, and had joined him in 98. So he's been playing with them for over, over 20 years. He's been in Jefferson Starship. And, and then Kathy Richardson came along and, and re, to, to do the female vocals. 
And just, well, I fell in love with her when she was playing with Big Brother and she was singing Janice. And when we found out that, you know, and she, I met her and we started talking and she would, she said she was a, an old Jefferson Starship fan when she was a teenager. She had all this stuff up on the walls and, and it comes to come out to see our, all our gigs. And she, she was, and she loved all the stuff and she knew every song. And when, when this, uh, Diana Mangano, our, our singer decided she had enough of, of running around it and wanted to do something else. We asked Kathy and she, and she came in and, and probably knew all of Paul's weird songs and everything. It was, it was just tremendous. And so it, ever since then, it's just kind of got tighter and tighter and tighter. And the band, I, I don't know. I, it just seemed to be what I really love, look forward to doing is to get out well, there and I, play with these people. I, I saw you uh, last year in Phoenix. And, Phoenix? Uh, yeah, um, a place called BLK. And the, <laughs> band, the band were incredibly present and really strong. And it, 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 was, it was really good. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when I remember you being on Blows Against the Empire, I think, and, you know, as a, an old, old fan of, of Jefferson Airplane, that to me was the last cool record. And, you know, it kind of got into Hitsville at some point and lost that oh, yeah. peculiar, yeah. cerebral, organic quality that was, was so fascinating to me when I was very young and taking acid. <laughs> it's the, 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 old, the, old, the old days. But... Um, let me let me just get back to to the to the modern time here for a second. So we have two perspectives going. I, I'm going to hit you more with the modern stuff. And Alan, Alan was there in the day. He bought the albums. He went and got those vinyls. So he he knows that, you know. Um, but the last album, Jefferson's Tree of yeah, Liberty. Alan's going to dose me, right? Right. Okay. He, he's yeah. <laughs> he, Tree of Liberty. <laughs> well, he's going to know. But but Jefferson's Tree of Liberty came out in 2008. You of course played on that. There has been no new album since then. What is the importance for you of of making new music? Is it something that you still strive for artistically, or is it really you know what fans want to hear the fifteen greatest hits? Let's just go give them the fifteen greatest hits and a fun night. And you know we've made fifty years of music. It's enough. Um, does it still burn inside of you to to make new music, or is it like eh, been there, done that? funny you should mention that okay Good. <laughs> we are at, we, we are in the midst of, of getting some new music out we have one tune done and four we're, we're almost done and we're just we're in the process of, of uh figuring out how we're going to get it all mixed but but it's most it's mostly finished now and actually we've been for the last oh probably the last six months we've been playing at least one of the new tunes in, in our set Okay, so saying, I know, I know when you got in your cars and come in here, you say, you know, Kathy will, Kathy will say, I know you're saying to yourself, gee, I hope they don't play anything new. <laughs> and so here's a new song for you, but it's been going, and it's, and it's, and it, and it relates to current events quite a bit. And, and, and before I defer to Alan, let me ask you about this, and I know you were just about to say something, but. When you make a new song like this one, do you look back over the 50 years and say, we have a sound and we need to capture that? Or is it you throw caution to the wind and say, we're going to try something new. We're going to be Jefferson Starship 2019. How, how do you sort of approach the sound of new music? We approach it as we're, we're, we're all kind of interested in, 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 in keeping the feeling alive and also, and also the... the uh, the intentions alive, you know, what we want to do, we, we, we want it, we want it to be relevant to what people are doing now, what, 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 what our problems are just, just like it was, we were, we were back in this, in the sixties and the problems aren't that different, <laughs> but, uh, the, the first song is called, what are we waiting for? And it's, it's just saying, here we are, all this weird stuff is going down. Why can't we all why can't we all talk about talk to each other instead of yelling at each other more or less? 
that's not exact. Those aren't are not the lyrics, but but that's the idea. Is we've got to get together, or else it's it, or else terrible things will happen. Yeah, well, that's basically the point. Yeah, f- well, fifty anyway, years. Of- but it's really it's a really nice song, and it's been getting pretty. It's been, considering it's a new song when people are coming, and they they want to hear "We Built This City" and that stuff, and uh, you know, and White Rabbit, and we we'll give them this, and they've been getting re- very positive reactions to it. That's great. So we're, 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 and and the new and the other songs are approximately the same, except for one that there's there's also one that Marty wrote. Mark while he was while he was he was in and out of Paul's Paul's Jefferson Starship. He'd come in and come out, and he wrote this with Chris, our keyboard Chris Smith, our keyboard player, and he wrote one soon called uh, uh, "Don't Be Sad Anymore," and and that's going to be in in there too. So, uh, and I'm going to step back for really... a second here, and I'm going to let Alan take over. Alan. The floor is yours. Well, David, that is really heartening and encouraging for an old English dog to hear because (laughs) part of the seduction of the music of my youth was its spirit and that it stood for something. Um, I think if there is one song I wish I had written, I'd have to say it's Imagine. And I am delighted that you have a drive to express a commentary on what you see around you socially, because I think that's a really, really essential part of the musical experience. And what I hear today is really disappointing um, in, in contemporary music. And the other thing was, is I thought we put a lot of these monsters away in the 60s, but, you know, it seems like the present political... Here they come climate, again, yeah. Yeah, here they come again. And my God, you know, we've got to do the work again. I mean, you know, I don't know what you think about this, David, but, you know, there's a lot of old hippies who have gotten married, chased the material, raised their kids, paid for them to go go through college, paid off the two BMWs. You know what, guys? Be hippies again. Start being more politically active. Um, And musicians from that period, restoke the fire. Yeah. Well, as Paul said, I mean, we had a couple of tour. We, since Paul passed away, the first couple of years, we were, we were, um, as Paul's, uh, as one of Paul's lyrics is, "Carry the fire." And so we've been trying to carry the fire, as Good it were. Good for you. Good <laughs> for you. I yeah. love that. That, that's an encouraging thing for an old man to hear on a, on a Monday morning. On a Monday morning, yeah. Um, let me just. <laughs> we we've mentioned Paul a, a few times, sort of as an aside or of of a discussion, but. Let's put him in the center of the focus for a second. Talk to me a little bit about, about Paul and, and what did he mean to you on a professional level, but also on a personal level? Um, because I know that when he passed away, you went to his family and you said, listen, do you mind if we continue with the band? There was a respect for him, not like, oh, well, we're just going to get on with it, which would have been sort of like, oh, there was an incredible respect for him. Talk to me about about his contribution both professionally and personally to you well actually it was kind of almost the other way around the family said would you continue the band when we at his funeral they asked would you please continue the band and we were we were thinking about asking if keep it going because we were because towards the end i mean paul 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 was so so you know was in, in pretty bad shape but he never would want to quit quit performing you know and so we kept almost half the gigs we'd play with Paul would, would be in the hospital or something and we'd be, go out and play them without him. And so we were very used to playing without Paul, but we all respected him so much, you know, and, and, and for, for me personally, I mean, I knew probably met Paul at the end of, I don't know, it's probably ni- early 1963, probably when I, I was a folk singer and I just happened to, and he was a, and he was still a student. I think he was going to San Jose state and he was, and my little group, I sang with a girl named Michaela and, and we played at the folk house down in San Jose and he was hanging out there and I ended up staying over at his apartment, you know, because we played there for two nights, I think. And we sat up all night playing banjos and picking guitars and smoking weed. And, um, and we were fast friends, um, from then. And when I left that girl, the first place I went was back to Paul's in San Jose. And we were, we decided we would be, we would see what we could do about being a folk duo or something. And we moved, I went to Venice, that moved down to LA to see if we could get, get into the, 
up, you know, the folk scene, but um, the folk scene was, was, uh, was Roger McGuinn sitting in front of the troubadour playing uh, Beatles songs and uh, the birds were just about to happen. So it was going to turn into something else very quickly. So really, uh, but, but we had quite a few good, a few adventures anyway. So, I mean, well, Paul, Paul was my oldest friend in the world, probably wow. when he passed away. So that, yeah. that must've been a, a really exciting period because you know, the, uh, the boundaries oh, yeah, we had of what, beach. what we you had couldn't couldn't do were about to go. Yeah, we had a place on the beach in in uh, in Venice, California, and Crosby would come by all the time. You know, and he 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 was it's before the birds, but you know, it was, and uh, and then he then he then they, the birds were forming. You know, so it was it was exciting. Have you memorialized this? Are you going to? Put this down so that we can pick it up as a book. Enjoy the adventure that you had. If I wasn't such a lazy writer, I probably would. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were, there were, there were. Sometimes I feel like I'm the Forrest Gump of rock and roll or something. I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. I don't know. <laughs> but well, no, I think that's partially choice too, David, because you were a part of. Uh, um, significant records oh, and significant bands. Was, I mean, that's good choice. It was definitely. I was that actually. Uh, I was actually where I wanted to be. I was very. Yeah, it's true. I was. I wasn't just tossed around by fate like that. But yeah, it was. It was. It was good to be in the right place. So. So San Francisco, in 1965, was a pretty good place to be. Well. I, I unfortunately wouldn't know, but but let me ask you about times, uh, pl- places, and time. Um, in '84, uh, let me hear. Let me check. Let me get my note out here. '84, nineteen eighty-four. If I can just uh, here we go. Nuclear furniture. There we go. Uh, Nuclear furniture comes out. It is the last album that you are a part of until two thousand and eight. Uh, what was going on at the time with the band where some of you decided, okay, it's time. We need to rock to walk away. And also, it was produced by Ron Nevison, who we recently interviewed, you know, UFO, Kiss, and all these other bands. Um, so I'm going to ask you, first of all, also the experience of working with Ron. But what was it at that point in 84 after? Also- yeah. He also he also he also uh, produced uh, uh, new, uh, uh, Freedom of Point Zero, I believe, too. So, yeah, what a great. Okay, well, in fact, let's start there. Uh, uh, what is it about Ron Nevison? Because when you look at the stuff he's done with UFO, and you look at some of the stuff he's done with other bands, he really brought out the best in bands, and and he he got them at to a level where maybe another producer wouldn't have gotten him when you're working on him with nuclear furniture and the other album, what was he doing in studio where you just went, Oh, that's smart. That's, that is smart. Good for him. Um, what was he like to work with? He was, he was, he was interesting to work with. He was, he was pretty strange. I mean, you know, there was, there was a bunch of cocaine going around at the first during, during uh, freedom at point zero. I, I know that I had, I never was a big fan of, but he managed, I don't know, whatever was handled, however he handled everything, he, he, considering he did, he did a really nice job on, on, on Freedom of Point Zero. And he, that, uh, my song, Jane, came out really great. And uh, and I don't know whether, you know, a lot of that was just having Mickey Thomas to sing it, I'm sure. But Yeah, it's funny, funny how cocaine derails everything, isn't it, David? Uh, just that stuff is just poison. Um, well, completely I, derails bands, minds, marriages, friendships. Yeah, I just found out. You know, it just seems to be people. You take one hit and that felt good, and then, and then everything else. Every other hit was trying to find it, trying to find what felt good about the first one, and you never found it again. That, that was my experience. So I just stopped. yeah. We we went from the doors of perception into the cupboards of no comprehension, I think. 
That's yeah, actually that's a good uh, yeah. a good song title right there. Um, but okay, since you mentioned Freedom at Point Zero, let me ask you about that. That is the first one that comes out in '79. Mickey Thomas, first time with you, and then you've got Ainsley Dunbar, who had just left Journey, and eventually yeah. in '87 he goes does that album with White Snake, the the, the White Snake '87 album. Uh, to me, completely underrated as a player. I mean, he, he's one of these guys who goes from band to band to band. And yet, wow, what a hitter. I mean, he knows how to hit. Um, but talk to me about that, having Mickey come in and 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 finally having this singer show up and take over and sort of give Starship or Jefferson Starship sort of a, a 2.0 kind of version of it. What, what, talk to me about bringing in Mickey and, and how, how did you get him? Was it an audition? Was it like you saw him somewhere and you went, oh, he's too good. Uh, we got to get him. What was that Tell me that story. No, actually, actually, what happened, let's see, in 1978, we were were touring, we were in Europe touring uh, the the Earth album, I guess, with Jefferson Starship, and we got to one point, we were playing in Germany at Lorelei, and Grace was sick and couldn't show up for the gig. You know, she was throwing, she, she had diarrhea and was throwing up, and you know, when you're it's coming out of both hands, you know, it's no time to go on the stage. And so, and Paul wouldn't play without her, even though we had Marty and me and him, and we could have done a whole pile of songs. And it was one of these festivals where there were more people advertised than there actually showed up for it. It's beautiful outdoor amphitheater up on the hill above the Rhine river in, uh, you know, above the Lorelei Rock, where the where the you know the famous siren lured all the sailors to their deaths on the rocks, <laughs> so it was kind kind of prophetic. However, so we didn't play, and the audience rioted and tore, and actually started a bonfire and burnt the whole thing down. It was, and then the next gig was in Hamburg, and Grace got blitzed and left. And left the band after that, and there we were in Europe, <laughs> and we ended up playing a, a Nebworth festival without Grace. And then the then we got back, and then Marty left, and so we were left with uh, no Marty, no Grace. What are we going to do? Shall we keep going? And and yes, we decided to keep going. And John Barbada went and had a car wreck, and 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 was out of commission for almost a year or so. So we had to get. We got it, and we got Ainsley. So we did. We needed. We figured we needed a new singer, and uh, and so I had written Jane, and we start and we, and we, so we just started had tryouts. We had a whole a bunch of people come in and you know and play with us, and and it, it kind of seemed like the person that that would sing Jane the best would probably get the gig, and that was had ended up being Mickey Thomas. That's great. Uh, and by the way, Alan, do you know how you are connected to the album, the album Freedom at Point Zero? Do you, you both share a connection to this one. Oh, we do? Yes, you do. The uh, person that worked on your Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction, Mike Klink, was the engineer oh. on this album. Well, Mike Klink was the second. Yeah, yeah. Yes. See, you, you have both worked with Mr. Klink over the years. So there you go. So we had we have one um, division of, uh, of one, division. one degree of one degree of division one degree of separation. But okay, so so let me ask you this then, because Mickey's in the band, and in '84 you do that album, and then you move on, and then in 1985 the band reemerges as starship and they do we built this city and sarah and it's exceptionally commercial very sugary sweet um they 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 do the videos it's 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 pop like pop wouldn't believe which to me sort of seems to be the antithesis of what jefferson jefferson airplane jefferson starship was all about what was that like when you first see the video or hear the song and you go really Really? Okay. Was that a shock? Was that like, okay, well, hey, you know, good for them. How did you take that song, yeah, that I, album? I think that, 
Well, I I had I still had a piece of the of that album anyway because because I left and they decided that well, okay you've been here a long time you really probably should have something I said, yeah okay I'll take that and so I was I was happy for the success of it but uh, I don't know the the videos got out of hand I thought it, it's, you got a bunch of people that aren't actors trying to be actors it, it was an interesting. An I, 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 I don't agree that We Built This City is the worst song ever written, though, or whatever that was. That the no, that would be a Kiss song. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. No, but no, actually, listen, I'll, I'll be perfectly I got, frank. Yeah. I like We Built This City. I think it's a, a fun song. And I, I had a very, I had a best friend at the time in high school called Sarah. So I don't say we, I don't want to say we teased her about the song, but, you know, it, it was part of our sort of vernacular, if you want Sarah is a beautiful song. That is really a nice song. Oh, it is. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I, I like that. Was I, I really liked it before I left. I had no problems with Sarah. I thought that was a beautiful song, written by Peter and Ina Wolf. Yeah. And that was the other thing we were talking about. Ron Nevison. When Ron Nevison came back to do the second album with us, he brought Peter Wolf with him, who kind of, I don't know. I don't guess he got production, but he was. Did he get production credit on on? nuclear furniture yep. i don't remember yes he did because he certainly, he certainly should have because he played half the stuff of everybody's on there he's a fantastic keyboard player yep and just re- real quick for for my listeners that are are more into the hard rock heavy metal thing the the knee deep in the hoopla that has we built the city in sarah also includes backing vocals by the one the only kevin dubrow of Quiet Riot. So that's that's an interesting little side note that I, I didn't even know until I started doing all this research. Um, Alan, I'll, I'll defer over to you. I we are... That's the, first time, that's the first time I heard of it, too. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did additional vocals on uh, Rock uh, rock Myself to Sleep and a couple others, but uh, yeah, it's a fun little uh, little side note. But Alan, we are at 30 minutes. I will, uh, I will let you uh, ride this one home. And uh, just real quick... Uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you today, and I'll let Alan get in the last couple of questions. And uh, David, just thank you. Thank you for your time today. But Alan, c'est à vous. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Okay. Yes. Well, well David, I, I, I really don't have any further questions, but I would reiterate again that um, you were a part of records and bands that had a tremendous impact on me as a, as a nipper as a little kid, and quite simply, thank you. I oh, wouldn't be so talking welcome. to you. I, I, would, I, would, I may well not have taken the path I had in life, but for things you were involved in. Um, I found it, I was at that age where I found it very interesting that people seemed to be making more sense on record than the people who were in my family or the people who were in my school or the people who were in my social group. And I found myself moving far more to a, uh, an outlook and a consciousness that came from vinyl rather than what was around me. So thank you for what you contributed to that. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being able to see it. Because <laughs> sometimes the people that were doing it didn't see it as well as they should have. <laughs> Here we are today. You know, it's old hippies of the world reunite. Let's try and sort this out a little bit and get a little bit and get some more communication. Awesome, David. Awesome. Very awesome. And just hear our new stuff. Oh, I I can't wait. And and please, if you if you don't mind uh, giving us a sneak peek or a preview, would be more than appreciative. You can either send it over to Eric and he can send it to us, or I can give you my contact. But uh, real quick, let's just remind the folks. JeffersonStarship.com is where you will find all the tour dates. The band, it is unbelievable. I'm just scrolling through these tour dates and I go, doesn't he rest? I mean, doesn't he rest? Uh, all the way through September so far, there will be, of course, more coming. Uh, David, uh, merci. There, there are more. Yeah. There are more that are. Oh, one yeah. question. Yes. Yes, sir. Did you uh, take the trip down to New Zealand and had you been there before and what did you think of the place? Did you get much time to see it? We didn't get much time to see it, much to our chagrin, but, uh, but we fell in love with the place, actually. Because that's, that's actually, actually where I was born. We, felt, we kind of fell in love with Toto also as well, because those guys are great. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's a, it was a beautiful place. All the people were so real. It was, and their reaction to the to the the reaction in New Zealand to their to the horrible thing that happened down there, the uh, the mass the the crazy mass murderer, right, that went off in the mosque. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. You know, you know what, David? You might want, you want to, put, to know how you how you should react to something like that. New Zealand did it perfectly. My God. Yeah. You know, you know what? If 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 you've not spent any time down there, put it in the bucket list to you know to get a week or ten days down there. I think you'll find it time well spent, and you'll really thoroughly enjoy it. It's. I look at the places a little bit like it's a little bit in the past, where we're you know 2019. Unfortunately, here. I think in New Zealand it's still maybe about 1978, <laughs> which which of course was the prime years for Kiss. So that actually would be good to go back. Oh, to <laughs> I opened the door. <laughs> you did, uh, but, but but David, absolute pleasure, and hopefully you will you will get up to uh, to my part of the world here in Montreal. And I know if you get down to Arizona, uh, Alan will be front and center because he just loves the band and would love to probably get it. In fact, Alan, I'll ask you. Would you love to get a chance to go meet David and say hello in person? Oh, that would be a, a privilege and a, and, a, and a pleasure. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, I'm sure we'll get to Phoenix again. <laughs> yep. Well, well, if you do, please uh, give me a heads up because I would love to come down and say hello in person. Yeah, yeah, and that, it's going to be a delif- uh, It's going to be a great show because the the new singer. My Lord, she she is dropped from heaven. I mean, the voice. I mean, to to, to try to replace Grace or, or or any of the singers you've had is no easy feat, and yet she made it an easy feat. So, yeah, you know. actually, one of the, one of the one of the new songs that that we, that we got coming out was was written. Will have been most of the lyrics will have been written by Cassie and Grace. So there's there's a tidbit for you. Oh wow, that's a nice awesome. combination. Anyway, we've said goodbye about five times. Let's time this time. Let's make it real. Here is, uh, but David, merci beaucoup, as we say in Montreal. Alan, thank you for joining me on this one. And there you go. Pleasure, man. Bye now. Bye bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon.